Welcome to the Accra Community Church Podcast. So glad you stopped by. We hope that as you listen to today's sermon, the Holy Spirit through his word will refill you, recharge you, and equip you for the rest of your journey with him. Listen to today's sermon. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for this season that we've put aside to remember of your goodness, of your blessing, and the gift that you are to this world. Father, thanks for reminding us through this song that it's all about you, not just about us. It's all about you, your entirety, and all that you offer. I pray that this morning you will remind your church about the gift that you are and the purpose for which you came, that many who may be wavering would find their way back to you, and many who do not know you yet would run to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we turn our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9? Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6, and I'll read through to 7. Isaiah 9, quite a popular one, good for the season. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen. We can flip to John chapter 1. Verses 1 to about 14. But I'll take it from John chapter 1, 9 to 13. It'd be good to read the whole thing in context on our own later. But I'll take it from 9 to 13. John 1, 9 to 13. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all that, sorry, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the third one, which we all know, most of us, would find in John 3.16. It says, For God 
so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have an everlasting life. Amen. These three texts um, tell us a whole story of um, the word or the prophecy that came hundreds of years before Jesus was born, brought to us by the prophet Isaiah. Then, just before Jesus started his ministry, we hear John the Baptist's accounts and uh, what he says about the coming of Jesus Christ, that he will be greater than him, and that's the Messiah. And the accounts that shares that, yes, even though he came to his people, his very own, his very own rejected him, and many turned their backs against him. The third text tells us about Jesus, his own coming. And he offers himself to us as a gift, as a sacrifice, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have an everlasting life. All these are strong accounts written in the Bible that many people knew during those times and even after Jesus left. But we also have an account from Paul that tells us about the time after Jesus Christ, how this has been received. Before then, I'll just put it in context. That even though we had this word coming from the prophet Isaiah, we had John the Baptist proclaiming the coming of the Lord right from when he started his ministry, through the time Jesus came, offered himself on the cross and died for us, there were many who did believe him, who did receive him. But we learned also that many did not see, did not notice him, did not receive him. And uh, Paul, who was one of the chief guys who did not believe him, who persecuted Jesus himself, when he turned to Christ, he started teaching the word all around. And um, he writes to the people of Romans, to the people of Roman, or Rome, sorry, the Romans. And uh, in the accounts in chapter 1 of Romans, he actually laments and brings a stern warning um, to the people. I read that that letter wasn't necessarily addressed to the church only, but the church was also included because he wrote to these people. And I'd like us to read from Romans 1, 18 to 32. And this is after Jesus had come, died, and gone. Romans 1, 18, 32. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the word of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. 
Therefore God gave them over in the, uh, over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged their natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their, for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do not, so they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Deep words for reflection. That in spite of the coming of Christ, it was proclaimed, he came, he died, they saw what he did. Paul's letter here tells us that evil continued on earth and shameful acts were happening all around. And it's, it's so amazing or it surprises me um, that someone can just see the goodness of the Lord and just turn their backs against it. It surprises me only today because I've come to know the light. But I was very much one of these kind of people who turned my back. Even though I heard about it, I saw miracles all around. I saw testimonies but I was one of the many who turned our backs simply because we didn't believe, we didn't receive. We had not enough faith or we doubted and thought it was not true. Paul's letter just reminds us of a situation even today because of our knowledge of wisdom or wisdom of the world, we choose to do things our own way. And as I read, Verse 26 going, and all the wicked things, I just asked myself whether some of these things can still be seen amongst us in our communities, in our neighborhoods, our countries, and the world at large. It tells us of the battle that is ongoing, the constant battle. And as Nanakofi brought to us last time, that a package may come, but it may not be recognized. It may not be understood. And for some of us, the package came, was introduced to us, 
But it was too good to be true. How possible can I be saved by grace? No, I needed to work to earn it. I mean, it was not possible. Many people have doubts and have questions. But that's the reality of life. And it's our job to tell the world about this special present that Jesus brings to us. The fact is this. That in the beginning, God's original intention was for man to have a good time, to look after his creation, to be stewards over everything and have dominion, and be fruitful and multiply. We'll find out in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. In Genesis 3, we learn that man disobeyed God, was deceived and disobeyed God, and got separated from the Father. And this was the beginning of all the atrocities and challenges that man faced, submitting himself, I mean, to sin on a sinful nature. That struggle continued for several thousands of years. And we know, of course, that judgment came upon God's people many times. We have it many times, slighted many times in the Old Testament. And that struggle continued and continued. The wages of this sin was punishment, death, eternal damnation. And in Romans 6, 28, if you can turn there, for the wages of sin is death. Then he continues the second part, that by the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there are two things here shared with us by Apostle John again. That with all this sinful nature of man, if we do not accept this Jesus Christ, if we don't open our hearts to receive him, as was shared in John 1, then we open ourselves to condemnation, to damnation. By the gift of God, which is eternal life, was to be received through Jesus Christ. And indeed, he sent Jesus Christ to redeem us and to save us from our wretchedness. I think a decision was taken in heaven after God saw how helpless man was. God sent several prophets, judges, even angels, to help men turn away from their evil ways. It was such a big struggle. The laws were there, and many were struggling. Until today, many who choose to go with the law struggle to keep them. It was, it was a fact, or inevitable, that the heart of man remained hopeless. We're all headed for this damnation. But John 3.16 tells us that for the love of God for us, this same world are turned their backs against him. He chose to send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, that whosoever receives him and believes in him should not perish, but be given a new life, a life that gives all the salvation, the freedom, and the peace that we all look for. Just imagine 
yourself in one of your sinful natures or struggles in the past or present. The wage for this sin is death. So for instance, you murdered, you stole, you lied against somebody that led to the person's death, whatever it is. You find a mob coming after you where sometimes you get lynched. Just picture that situation with a rush to get lynched. Some would even pour gasoline on you. So imagine yourself being drenched in fuel and someone tries to strike a match. And in the community, they were justified because yes, you had done wrong. You had done something very evil and you're going to be killed. And the decision gets taken in heaven. Someone comes in and says, hey, I'll take that death. I'll take that pain. That guy is my son or she's my daughter. Let her go. Let him go. And that's a decision that was taken in heaven. And that's what Jesus came to do for you and I. What better gifts would you have than a person who trades his life for yours that you might be set free? There may be some people who would say, no, I deserve this death. No, I can't take it. No, I've got to be beaten a little bit. I've got to be in prison to serve my term. There are people who would say that. But Jesus came. That if you receive him and believe in him, he'll just pull you aside and take that brand for you. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. So who would have thought that this was not good news to rescue you and me? Who would have rejected Jesus? But yes, some did 2,000 years ago. And some still do today. This perfect gift that brings life. That brings a whole bouquet of gifts and presents. We say no. We don't deserve this. We say no. It's not mine. And this season, we want to remind you. That this gift was brought for you and me. And we are compelled to receive this gift that we might be saved. Amen. The gift might have been wrapped in a way that was not recognized. Too good to be true. And in fact, that was exactly the situation. There was no pump. When the king came, he wasn't riding in a palanquin. He wasn't in a, a motorcade. No glory. Nothing glorious about him. So, people did not see that. They did not accept him. Oh, it was just like blasphemy. How? I mean, how can this happen? No, you'll be stoned to death. That's not possible. But that's exactly the situation. When Jesus came and gave his life for that guy who was about to be lynched, with him came a bouquet of gifts. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. 
in Ephesians 1, 7 to 8. says, In him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. So here we see forgiveness. Redemption. This guy who was being lynched, who could be you and me, was redeemed. I looked up redemption. And it's simply the action of buying one's freedom. The action of buying one's freedom. And this happened through the blood. You still find that in Ephesians, which I read. Ephesians 1, 7 to 8. Redemption through the blood. He exchanged his blood. He died his whole life. Exchanged it for yours. That you will be free. So yes, he forgave us. He's redeemed us. And he's brought us freedom. He told this guy, go. You are set free. We have many instances in the Bible where Jesus did that. Set people free. He set you and I free. In Galatians 5.1, says it is for freedom that Jesus, that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves to be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. You've been set free. And let's take the second part. Do not be burdened by the yoke of slavery. You were slaves. You were prisoners. You were chained, bound together, being led to the slaughter. But you've been set free. Just walk away rejoicing, knowing that you are free. Go about your everyday job, knowing that you are free. Go about rejoicing, knowing that you are free. But unfortunately, many people, though they've given their lives to Christ, still are bound to many things, many laws, many practices, as though they were still working to earn this grace, this salvation. So there's a caution to us to enjoy the freedom. And through knowledge, we will be liberated. With Jesus came the light. In John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Many walk in darkness because of lack of knowledge and fear. They're never open to enjoy all the goodness of the Lord. But Jesus brings light to us that will be set free, that we can see, make decisions, make judgments, have sound mind, and do things that please the Lord. Jesus also came with a power. He gave us power to do exploits. There are many parts that he tells us that, look, I have given you this power to do these things. In Luke chapter 10, 19, it says, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Christians, people of God, Jesus came with us as well. With him came the gifts of power. Once we come to him, once we come to know him, we tap into this power and we do great things. We're not afraid of the enemy. We have power over the enemy. We don't run away and become slaves or fugitives of the enemy. But we stand firm and know that we have overcome. Hallelujah. He also says in John 14, 12, that Verily I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will, and they will do even greater things 
than this because I am going to the Father. Power to do greater things. What did Jesus do? You can do more than that. He's given it to us as a gift. He's rescued you and given you power to do these things. He also talks about the Holy Spirit, that we'll have the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He says, when, not if, eh? it will definitely come. <laughs> and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Also, Jesus himself also said that um, by the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. So he promises us the Holy Spirit who would come after him and gives us the power to be witnesses and do exploits that Jesus did. Another thing that comes that I really love is victory over sin and death. And this is a whole sermon. But for me, this was my biggest miracle. I was so scared of death. And I knew I'd go to hell. And I shared it here before. But when Jesus visited me, and he opened my eyes to this gift that he is, I opened up my heart and received him. Everything changed. No more fear of death. And I have victory over sin. Hallelujah. No more in bondage. In 1 Corinthians 15, 57, it says, But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's only through the Lord Jesus Christ that we can have these things. And one other thing he brings to us, which is very personal to me, is that he'll be taking us home with him to the Father in John 14, 2. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again. And I will take you to myself. But where I am, you may be also. So there's a great promise for us. So Jesus has not only come to rescue us. He's come to rescue us, empower us, strengthen us. And with a promise to go with him to the Father. This is lovely. This is beautiful. But interestingly, many who've had this over the years may still not be receiving him. They may still be waiting for the special one. Many may be lost. And there are many reasons why many will still be lost or not be receiving this. There's a story that was told by um, Max Lucado in his book In the Grip of Grace. He shares a story or a parable of the river. And others call it the parable of the five brothers. And this, there was a man, quite a wealthy man, who had a house, uh, in fact, a castle on the hills somewhere. Beautiful castle. He had everything and lacked nothing. He had five sons. His eldest son was very obedient. And he loved his father so much. The other four were rebellious, hard-hearted, and stubborn, maybe just like many of us. Their dad warned them never to go to the nearby river, which was a couple of miles away from their home, the castle. But these guys always wanted to do that. So one day, these four younger brothers 
decided to go to this river. They got there, admiring the river, enjoying the breeze, playing at the banks, quite some steep banks. They remembered what their dad said, do not go to the riverside, do not play there, do not touch the water, don't go in. But one of the guys said, I'm going to, I want to have a feel of this beautiful gushing water. So he tried to reach out and he stretched his hand to his other brother. So they all held him one after the other. They held each other to support him down the steep banks. Just when he reached out for the water, he slipped and fell in the water. With him came the other three brothers. So all four guys fell in this river. It was gushing. The torrents were very high. They tried to swim out. They couldn't. They did everything they could, screamed, did everything, held onto the, the stakes, the, the stones, nothing happened. The river washed them several hundreds of miles away into a distant land where Max Lucado says was a land of savages. I'm not, why, I'm not sure why he used that. <laughs> but it was a distant land, wicked people. The land was not fertile. There was no home for these guys. So after a few days, trying to find their way home, they just had no choice. They had no option. They decided to build a tent and stay in there, made some fire. And every night, they watch the stars and tell beautiful stories of how their father loved them and how they disobeyed their father. They longed for when they would go back to see their dad. They hoped their dad would come back for them. And they were waiting After a few weeks, when the brothers woke up, they realized the eldest among them was nowhere to be found. They, reached, they went out to look for him and found out, found out that he was among the savages trying to build a home. He built a hut. Busily doing it, they called out to him, Dad will not be happy to know you are mixing up with these guys. You are not part of them. Come, let's go home. Dad, you'll be here with us. He has a beautiful castle for us. Don't build any house here. Don't settle here. But this brother said, no, leave me. I'm not sure when daddy is going to come. I've got to live my life, and I'm having a good time with these guys. So he led his life, having fun and partying with these people, and moved on. A few days later, they realized another brother had disappeared. Later, they found him on the hills, not too far from where the other brother had built his, his, his hut. They called out to him, what are you doing there? Come back with us. He said, no. I'm watching this brother of ours. He's such a bad guy. He's so annoying. Daddy, you'll be so angry with him. Look what he's doing among these people. See how he's settling among these people. He's such a bad guy. I'm keeping records of everything he's doing. And every night I go and peek into his room. And trust me, what he does is really bad. I'm keeping accounts of all these things. And I'm going to tell Daddy exactly what he's done. Daddy's going to be really mad at him. I'm not coming with you. So these two guys went back to their tent. Another week later, the, the younger one found that he was alone in the room in the morning. He looked all around. He couldn't find his brother. He walked up the riverside and found his brother busily piling up rocks, trying to create a pathway. He asked him, what are you doing? He says, I'm creating a pathway to walk up the river. I need to go back to dad. He said, no, but you can never do this. The steps are so many, you can't make this. He said, look, I'm going to try. And one day when I get to that, he's going to see how hard I tried to get back to him. He'll know that uh, I deserve his mercy and he'll take me back. Come back home, this guy said no. 
So the little one went back to the tent in all sadness, feeling all alone. The daddy is not going to be happy with all of us. We've sinned against him. While he was thinking about this, he heard a voice. Son, brother, brother. He turned and that was the eldest son who had found them. He was so happy. He raised to him and hugged him. After a long while, he asked, where are your brothers? He said, well, they're all about. He showed him where they were. And his big brother said, all right, I'll go look for them. So he went out to the first son, the, the guy who built the tents. Sorry, the hut. When he got there, he said, sorry, I'm not coming with you. You are here because of my hut. You are envious of me. You are jealous about this beautiful hut I have. In fact, this is my mansion. Go away from me. I toiled and built this. Now you want me to come home? No way. Together with the um, savages and the new friends he had, they drove away the first son. He turned away from him. Then he went looking for the second. He went to the hills and called out to him. While he was walk, climbing up the hills to reach him, the second guy up there said, Go away from me. Have you seen what our brother has done? He settled with the savages, with the sinners, misbehaving every day. I'm keeping detailed records of his accounts, and one day I'll tell daddy about him, and he will punish him. So the eldest son said, why don't you focus on your own sins? You have disobeyed daddy yourself. He said, yes, I have disobeyed, but this brother has done even worse. He deserves more punishment. And I'm keeping all records of him. Perhaps when daddy sees his sin, he would actually hold me, uh, he would consider me free because I've done less of a sin than this guy. So this guy came down trying to show the big brother the life of the other brother who settled but the big brother did not go with him then he went to look for the third guy who was at the riverside busily building a path he called out to him but again the third brother said sorry when daddy sees this hard work i'm doing he would give mercy the mercy that i deserve the big brother tried to compel him Tell him, I'm here to pick you home. I've discovered a path to the house. Come, I'll go with you. He says, sorry. Daddy can't just forgive me that way. He needs to see how I've toiled. Then he would give me mercy. The big brother told him something profound, and I quoted it. I quote him here. So the firstborn son said to him, that favor won is no favor, and mercy end is no mercy. I implore you, let me carry you up the river. Come, let's go. But again, the third brother rejected his brother and held rocks at him. So big brother turns away and goes back to the youngest son. The youngest said, where are my brothers? He said, well, the first one said no, second said no, third said no. So this young guy asked, so will they remain here? And the eldest brother nodded, for now, they will. And will return to the father? Asked the brother. Yes, he said. And will he forgive me? He said. Would he have sent me if he wouldn't? That was the answer from the big brother. And so the younger brother climbed up the back of the firstborn and began to journey home. In summary, all these four brothers reflect who we are in different ways. The first said no, choosing grass, hut over his father's house. 
we choose things here on earth over God. The second said no, preferring to analyze and judge mistakes of his brother rather than to admit his own. The third said no, taking it, thinking it was wiser to make good impression than an honest confession. And the fourth said yes, choosing gratitude over guilt. These things or these attitudes actually prevent many of us from receiving this good news from Christ. And Lucado concluded by saying that the first group are the hedonistic people. Materialism. They won't come to Christ because of what they would lose out of this world. There's no much time. But Paul warned us in Romans 1, 22 to 25. That although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like the mortal human being and birds and animals and mortals. The second son was judgmental. And many people who judge others, busy judging others, other groups, other churches, other pastors, other things, and not focusing on what God has given to them, would find themselves in this way. Romans 2, 1 to 4. I'll just read verse 2. You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. The third group are the legalistic group of people, just like the third son. They believe they deserve to work, to suffer, to be punished, and to earn their father's mercy. In Romans 3, 19 to 20, clearly talks to us about that. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And the fourth son is what we implore you all, all of us to be. The little brother believed and received the redemption gift of the father. The undeserved gift we call grace. He was rescued. He was forgiven. He was accepted. He got with him the full bouquet that Jesus brought to us. Brethren, do we have this gift that Jesus is? Have we received everything that Jesus brought to us? Will we be this younger son? Open up our hearts and receive this Jesus Christ. Shall we bow down our heads? As we focus on Jesus Christ's birth, and as we celebrate this, let's make time to reflect on the purpose for which he came. What kind of son will we be? What kind of children are we? Have we received him? Have we accepted him? I'd like you all to say prayers, personal prayers from your heart unto the Father. Search deep in your heart and find out where you stand. Give thanks to him if you know you're in right, in the right with him. If you've opened up your heart and accepted him as your Lord and personal Savior. But if you're not sure about this, you've got to invite Jesus into your life and accept him. Ask him to come 
forgive your sins and give you a new life according to his promises. Let him know that you accept him. You receive him into your heart. And from today onwards, you surrender totally to him. If you pray a prayer like this, we'd like to meet with you at the end and help you through it and put you through the path where you get to become that son or that daughter that Jesus wants you to be. Let's accept Jesus' perfect gift for us. Amen. We hope this sermon blessed you. If it did, will you consider sharing it with a friend? And if you're in Accra looking for a spirit-filled community to worship with, why don't you join us at Mikado Plaza, the Bonnie Junction, Accra, on Sundays from 9 to 10.30 a.m. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Accra Church and visit our website, accrachurch.org, for more sermons. God bless you.